You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody, welcome to Rico Bronia. Remember when we were excited? Remember when we were pumped up? Remember when there was a winning streak? And oh, look at this. The Mets are hot. They may get back into the race. Hoffman's bald. It's all because of that, that the Mets are hot. Well, they have lost back-to-back games, or they lost back-to-back games to the San Diego Padres. They lose the three-game series to the San Diego Padres. They allowed Joe Musgrove to stick it up their ass yet again. Max Scherzer, again in a big spot, comes up small. And if you would have told me a week ago, hey, the Mets are going to go out west, they're going to take on the Diamondbacks and the Padres, and they're going to go 4-2, and two, I think we all would have been like, okay, not bad. But when you win the first four and you lose the last two, especially the way they did with an absolutely limp offense and just a terrible start by Max, I don't want to say it ruins the entire six-game winning streak, but they lost a lot of the goodwill from the six-game winning streak. Because not that we figured they were going to win eight in a row going into the break or they were going to win 18 in a row, but to lose back-to-back games, especially the way they did against a Padre team that has been as big, if not a bigger disappointment than the Mets, is an absolute buzzkill. So now we all get to sit around for a week, wait until Friday when they play the Dodgers. And the truth is what we have just seen over the last week is probably a lot of what we're going to see in the second half of the year. They're not a bad team. They'll win some games. They'll suck us in. They'll get us excited. And then they're going to kick us in the groin when it matters. Now, let me start with Max. We'll go through all three games. We'll preview the early part of the second half of the season uh, a lot of news and notes. We'll read a lot of your emails, so there's obviously a lot to get to. But let me start with the end, and the end is Max Scherzer. Because Max Scherzer has made 16 starts for the Mets this season, and they've actually won 10 of those 16 games. So when you think about it that way, you'd say, hey, when he's on the mound, the Mets have a better chance to win, and that's been the truth. But when you look at those six losses and you look at them individually, you realize that a lot of those six games were the biggest games the Mets played in 2023. Think about it. The game against the Atlanta Braves, you're in the midst of a three-game series against the team you're trying to exercise your demons against. At that point, the Mets are actually in a race. The Mets hand them a big lead. He proceeds to blow it. One of the biggest games of the year. The game against the Yankees. Again, middle of June, Mets in a funk. Maybe they'll break out of it. They hand him a 5-1 to one lead, and he can't get through the fourth inning of that game. Even the Brewer game, that start from about a week and a half ago, the finale of a four-game series, a chance to get a split, a chance to not lose another series in the month of June. And he wasn't, like, 
awful in that start, but they lost that game. And that's really been the story. When Max Scherzer has started the biggest games of his Met career, he's come up small. And I'm not even, you know, wasting our time on last year because we all know about last year. We all know about game number 159, whatever the hell it was, final three games against the Braves before they played the three meaningless games against Washington, how small he came up there, the playoff game against San Diego, and it continued. And what shocked me, what stunned me is you people, you people, you Met fans, and I'll tell you exactly why. I haven't tweeted much in the last week, but I put up a poll this morning after I got back from playing fan baseball, and my pitching performance was far worse than Max's. I'll leave it at that, okay? I I hit well, two hits, two for four, a couple of RBIs, stunning. But when I took the mound, oh, my God, I basically crapped all over the mound. But I get back from playing baseball, and I put up a very innocent poll. And it was a snap poll, you know, one of those polls that's only up for a couple of hours. And it was, I'll tell you exactly how I wrote it. Met fans, we are playing a huge game today. And Max Scherzer, who has come up small in every big spot as a Met, is starting. Do you have any faith he delivers a clutch performance? Yes or no? Very straightforward, very simple. And I'm even leading with the way I asked the question because I'm ripping Max in the question. Just in case you forgot, he comes up small in every start. And the poll was up there for, I'd say, two hours, brief amount of time. We got 5,000 votes, decent sample size. And I was expecting it to be 90-10. No, I have no confidence in Max. Like, why would you? If you're a Met fan, you're basing your feelings on Scherzer and Verlander, for that matter, on what they've done here. You're not thinking about Game 7 of the World Series. You're not thinking about any big game he pitched for Detroit or Washington because it's irrelevant to us, just like we never thought about Tom Glavin's big performances as an Atlanta Brave. And yet, it was only 55-45 no. How is that possible? How, as a Met fan, did you come into the game on Sunday with faith that Max Scherzer was going to twirl a quality game? Like, what, what the hell was it based on? He's never done it for the Mets in his career. He's had good performances. But in any game, he's towed the rubber in like a big game, however you want to define it. He has either completely crapped the bed or he's been just good enough to lose. So how the hell did 45% of you before this game have confidence Max was going to deliver? Can you answer me that one, Pete? I think that they were probably um, under the influence when they took that poll question. Under the influence of what? Hey, they won six out of seven. I feel good. Oh, no, some blah. sort of alcoholic beverage or some sort of illegal substance or maybe legal substance. Who knows? But they were definitely under the influence of something that tricked their mind into thinking, ah, everything's all good. Listen, it, I, I got to be honest, dude. I never expected him to perform well. I expected them to lose this game because just the, the Joe Musgrove, we can't touch him aspect too. But Max Scherzer, I mean, he, he is just completely lost. Like you said, I, never in a big spot. I think maybe what confused Met fans is that, and I always want to be honest about it, his last, you know, four starts have mostly been quality. They've mostly been good. Now, I didn't think he was that good in the Arizona start because, remember, he was giving up home runs and blowing leads. In fact, he blew two leads in that game. But he was okay against Milwaukee. He was good against Philadelphia. And he was brilliant against Houston, which I acknowledge. He was great against the Astros. That was the eight-inning one-run start. So really, since the Yankee debacle, 
he's mostly pitched well. So maybe that's what tricked the mind that, well, he's pitched well, he'll deliver. And yeah, when you look at this game, and we'll start with this game and then we'll go backwards. When you look at how they lost the finale of this series, absolutely we can blame the offense. I mean, that goes without saying. They only managed five hits in this game. They scored two runs, and that came late on the Mark Canna two-run double. They could not figure out Joe Musgrove. And when they had chances against Musgrove, they would either ground out into a huge double play or strike out. Second inning of this game, they get back-to-back hits from Jeff McNeil and DJ Stewart and Francisco Alvarez, who I know is impossible to rip despite him having a very, very rough Sunday. He had an amazing road trip. Grounds into a double play. They load the bases in the fourth with one out after back-to-back guys get hit, Alonzo and McNeil and DJ Stewart and Francisco Alvarez strike out. They get the leadoff man on in the fifth, and Luis Guillorme grounds into a double play. They get the leadoff man on in the sixth, and Pete Alonzo eventually grounds into a double play. So they had their chances against Musgrove. This was very different than the ear game back at City Field in the postseason. Because in that game, they had no chance. In that game, they had very few opportunities. They had opportunities in this game. So I don't want to ignore the fact that over the final two games of this road trip, the Met offense did nothing. They scored two runs, basically two meaningless runs. They came down 6 nothing in the eighth after getting one run the night before and only three hits. So over the course of two games, they scored three runs on eight hits. I mean, when you, when you think about it that way, it's atrocious. So I acknowledge that the offense came up small, but could you have set a worse tone for this game than what Max Scherzer did in the bottom of the first inning? And that's the problem. Like when you're an ace, let alone a guy making the money he's making, but I'm not even going to bring that up. When you're an ace, when you're a future Hall of Famer, when you're the guy in a big spot that fans want on the mound, look, go out and put up seven scoreless innings. Even if the Met offense does nothing and the Mets lose this game two to one because the bullpen sucks, at least we'll have a very different discussion. We won't be talking about the washed up Hall of Famer who all he's done since coming to New York has come up small in big spots. I mean, he could not have set a worse tone. First of all, Fernando Tatis Jr. hits a ball 400 feet that Max is lucky did not go out right then and there to make it two nothing. And what was it? He was ahead of the count, and I think it was either a slider or a fastball that just hung up there, and Tatis hit the crap out of it. And then Manny Machado, when it looks like, okay, maybe Max can get through this. They're second and third, one out. He was lucky the Tatis ball didn't get out. He's also lucky Kim didn't score. So second and third, one out. You can see a pathway to Scherzer getting through this. And he gets ahead of Manny Machado. I think it was one and two. Count works even to two and two. And then Manny hit the bejesus out of that baseball. And you could hear the disgust in Gary Cohn's voice, and you could feel the air coming out of all of our sails. Because the loss on Saturday, which we'll get to, it's going to happen. Like, you're not going to win 15 in a row as much as we want to see it happen. Like, Saturday was one of those losses, while it was frustrating, I accepted it. The key was, could they bounce back? The key was, could they win on Sunday and at least finish this road trip with a two out of three against San Diego, win the season series, and a five out of six road trip? And when Manny Machado hit the absolute crap out of that baseball, we all felt it. We all knew it. 
And really, no matter what Max did after that, you know, unless the Mets scored a bunch of runs and he held them down and he settled in, like, yeah, maybe the game could have turned. But you could tell early on they weren't going to get that big hit against Joe Musgrove. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And Max, you know, was okay for a few innings. And he worked out of trouble in the fourth. But you knew it. Max is due for a home run every three or four innings. And he gives up another one to Manny Machado. And this one was even more infuriating because he's behind 3-0. and And Manny goes opposite field and it barely gets out in that jury box or whatever they call it at Petco Park. And there's the exclamation point on another crappy performance by Scherzer in a big spot. Five runs in five innings and no shot. And here's the problem. If you're one of those Mets got to sell kind of people, ask yourself, is a team going to be blinded by the resume of Max Scherzer or are they going to see the reality of Max Scherzer? Because the Mets are trying to fight their way back into a pennant race and Max Scherzer has been a big, big part of why they're not. So is another team, even with the Mets picking up as much money as they're going to pick up, is another team really going to give you a grade A prospect for that? It's just disgusting. Everything about this Sunday game was disgusting. Everything brought me back to the feelings of earlier this season. Mad at the offense. Mad at Max Scherzer. Mad at Buck Showalter. And look, here's my mad at Buck Showalter speech, and it's not why they lost the game. Number one, I shouldn't be mad that DJ Stewart's on the roster, or I can be mad that DJ Stewart's on the roster. I can't be mad at Buck for that. Because Billy Epler decided that for whatever reason, they needed a basic, the crappier version of Daniel Vogelback, and that's amazing to say, to just stick up there. Like, what's the point of DJ Stewart being on this team? So Buck realizing, I got to play the guy eventually, plus Vogelback's terrible. Let me give DJ Stewart a chance to DH. And even though he had a base hit in this game, comes up with the bases loaded and one out and had no shot. No shot. So the lineup, not that I... I mostly liked it. I liked seeing Beatty in the lineup. Again, I like seeing, obviously seeing Alvarez in the lineup. I mean, you know, God knows he shouldn't be sitting, and he wasn't. You know, sitting Starling Marte and starting Luis Guillorme, I don't know, man. I mean, Guillorme feels very useless right now because his defense, we saw it the other night with the error he made, hasn't been as spectacular as it can be, and he gives you nothing offensively. But I think the issue I had with Buck was you're managing – into the All-Star break. So the Mets aren't going to play Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You have four off days. Nobody in your bullpen is going to the All-Star game. The only pitcher going to the All-Star game is Kodai Senga. You can manage this game aggressively. You can. Why not? You don't have to worry about Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not saying you manage it recklessly but I'm saying that maybe TJ McFarlane doesn't have to come into this game in the sixth inning of a game that at the moment, I don't want to say it's close, it's 5 nothing, but you're trying to win. You're thinking to yourself, ah, let me keep it at 5. If it gets to 6 or 7 or 8, I'm done. So the McFarlane thing kind of bothered me. Grant Hartwig's been great. I can't rip that. I mean, he's 
He's turned into one of their better relievers, Grant Hartwig. He's going to start to get bigger opportunities because he was really impressive in this game. He came into a bases-loaded one-out jam, and he got Fernando Tatis Jr. to ground into a room-service double play. So I'm impressed by him. So the Buck stuff was more annoying, more, hey, final game before the All-Star break. I mean, there was a time where you would use starting pitchers coming out of the bullpen. Final game before the All-Star break. Why not manage a little bit more aggressively? But the truth is the, the tone was set by Scherzer and the tone was set by the offense that couldn't get big hits early, especially with two on one out in the second and bases loaded one out in the fourth. The, here's Now, I, I don't know what Buck's thought process is, but does he still think that Max Scherzer is that elite pitcher and he knows that Musgrove is going to be tough to hit? So let's make sure that our defense is as sound today as possible and get the Guillermes in there, get the DJ Stewart's in there. I think in the case of why Guillerme played, it had more to do with the fact that Starling Marte looked awful on Saturday. And maybe the thinking is, look, and by the way, he wasn't great on Friday. And when we get into the Friday game, he almost cost them the game. I mean, he grounded into a one, two, three double play with the bases loaded. So I think that had more to do with sitting Starling Marte and thinking, all right, if I'm going to sit Starling Marte, where do I want to go? I could go Marcana, which he'd eventually come in the game anyway. We'll get to the fam injury. And since, all right, I'm sitting Marte, who do I want to go with? I think the Stewart over Vogelback one was him actually showing for the first time a lack of confidence in Daniel Vogelback. And that's the way I took that, that he didn't want to play him. And what's funny about that, what kind of makes me laugh, is that Vogelback was coming off one of his better games on Friday. He had, he had three hits on Friday. Now, granted, two of them were infield hits. He had three hits. He got on base four times. He didn't play Saturday because it was a lefty on the mound, so I don't even include that game. And so it was funny that of all the days for Buck to say, you know what, I'm not going to go to Vogelback. It's a day coming off one of his better offensive performances from two days earlier. But I, I do think you're right, though, Pete, that there are times where Buck's going to go onto the side of defense, especially because this team has been bad defensively for a while, like all the way around. It's, it's even infected Francisco Lindor, who, while he has been great offensively, since the birth of uh, his child, it really coincides with that. His defense has not been great, especially over the last couple of weeks. He hasn't been the all-around player. He's been great offensively, but his defense has gone backwards. So maybe the thought was, hey, if I'm going to sit Marte because he's lost offensively, let me upgrade my defense. The problem is Guillaume. I know he had that bloop double in the eighth inning. Yeah, the double play in the fifth was a killer, and he's just not much of a threat offensively. Well, also the problem is that Max Scherzer sucks, and it doesn't make a difference if you can't keep the ball in the park. I mean, that's really what it, it comes down to. Defense can't Max, help you. Max Scherzer's a home run machine, man. It is, and you can live with it if there are two solo home runs he gives up per game. But when it's a three-run home run in the first and a two-run home run in the fifth, you can't live with it. the The other thing from this game, obviously, is the fam injury. It's nervous. It's nerve-wracking because Pham took himself out of the game. You know, Tommy Pham, and this was the third batter of the game. It was when um, – actually, it was the first batter of the game. That's right. It was Sung Kim. Is that when it happened? Yeah, it was the first batter of the game because Kim singles to left and Pham goes to cut it off and hold him at first base. And it was a good play. He had the outfield assist a, a, a night earlier, and you could see him. He aggravated something and then starts walking towards the dugout and it was revealed that it was a groin injury. 
I heard Buck after the game. It doesn't sound great. Now, the only benefit is that fact that they do have these four off days. So if it was a day-to-day situation, maybe that causes them to not miss a start. But it sounds like this could be a couple of weeks. And remember, Tommy Pham has not only been really good mostly, he has played every single day in left field. They have run him out there in left field every day for about a month. So we'll keep an eye on that. We're not going to get an update for a few days, maybe by Thursday because they have that optional workout. We'll find out how serious it is. But he comes out of the game immediately. Mark Canna goes in. And Canna was actually okay. He drove in the only two runs of the game with the two-run double in the eighth inning. But that first inning was really weird because not only do you have the delay when Fam comes out, you've got the foul pop-up. And this is all within four pitches of each other, which is crazy. In fact, the foul pop-up was the first pitch of the game. So first pitch of the game is the foul pop-up the Mets challenge. The fourth pitch of the game is the base hit where Fam comes out. I'm surprised Max didn't use that as an excuse. You know, well, we had a delay with this. We had a delay with that. So as far as the Kim play is concerned, if you didn't see it, Kim pops it up in foul territory. Brett Beatty goes over and looks like he makes the clean catch, but it's really close to the screen. Third base umpire DJ Rayburn very quickly says, ball hit the screen, no play. Buck runs out to argue. Now, that's weird because why would you run out to argue? You could simply challenge it. You know, unless he's asking, am I allowed to challenge it? Which is, I guess, on the table that maybe that's why Buck went out there. So Buck goes out there to argue and then quickly makes that hand motion to challenge it. Gary Cohen was confused. He thought it was a crew chief challenge or a crew chief, crew chief review. And why that's significant is because if you lose a challenge, the challenge is gone and it's one pitch into the game. If it's a crew chief review, crew chief review, no harm, no foul. If it's a met challenge, you really have to think to yourself, was it worth it? You really do, because it's the first batter of the game. It's the first pitch of the game. And while it would be great to get an out, you also have a replay coordinator that you would assume is looking at it and is going to let you know, yeah, there's just no clear evidence that it didn't touch the screen. The Mets have done a lot of bad things in 2023 that are different than a year ago. And one of the things is that they have been sloppy with their challenges. They have not been great in winning their challenges. So that was a weird one, and it was right out the gate. And think about it, four pitches into this game, you got those two bizarre things, the screen challenge and then Tommy Pham leaving with the groin injury, and then it all went downhill. Tatis double, Manny Machado home run, goodbye, see you later. The other thing that was rather significant, even if you thought the game was out of reach at 5 nothing, was our guy Francisco Alvarez, who had a very rough Sunday, dropping a foul pop-up to an extended at-bat with Gary Sanchez, who then promptly rips a double and comes around and scores two batters later. So Alvarez, who's had his issues with those foul pop-ups, the rest of his defensive game I think has been great, but the foul pop-ups have caused him some an awesome angst. Turned out to be costly because it led to the sixth San Diego run. 